Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kudzu Vine for April 23rd, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Oh, good to have you all both on the show. I'm excited about tonight. We're going to have one of our favorite and frequent guests on, but we had not had him on since the week before the election, and that's Dr. Anthony Tregoski. Um He'll be coming in telling us about uh, Wisconsin. We're going to look all the way back to the election. We're going to talk about the election they just had for the state Supreme Court, and then we can look ahead to big events in Milwaukee and possibly even the 2024 um, Senate race that they're going to have up there as well. Uh, but until then, we've got several topics we want to talk about. And and just like last week, we had new candidates enter the race, and we had a buy-sell-hold, and we're going to start right there. We have one candidate that's new and is entering the race, and then we have a candidate that, I'll just be honest, I overlooked, and I guess I didn't think he was, you know, that big an attention getter. But the more I've seen, we really were remiss not talking about him because he's actually out polling uh, candidates that uh, maybe have more name recognition and elective office experience. So we're going to do both those candidates right off. And we're going to start off with the new candidate who did run for California uh, governor in the recall election, which was woefully unsuccessful, I might add. Larry Elder, he's been around quite a while because he's been a radio talk show host. And in the conservative ecosphere, being a radio talk show host gives you some, I guess, greater name, name recognition than one would think than certainly it would maybe being a Democratic uh, talk radio host. Um, but Larry Elder has entered the uh, presidential race for 2024. Catherine, buy, sell, hold Larry Elder. Well, you know, this is a kind of a curious fellow. I don't understand why he's running, because he's basically a Trump, you know, he supports, and he's a big Trumper, and he his all his, like, policies and, you know, his platform is all basically MAGA Trump stuff. But I, I definitely want to sell him. I don't think he's got anywhere to go. I, and I guess we'll talk at the end about, other comments about him, but go ahead. Uh, I'm, that's, yeah. I'm just going to say sell. Sell. And, and the the idea of him dividing the base is a relevant one. Uh, Tim, buy, sell, hold Larry Elder. Well, the guy's uh, very good at one thing, and that's being a self-promoter. That's what he is, and that's what he's doing in the race, and that's what he was doing in the gubernatorial race, even though early he was – Actually talking like he thought he might have a chance to win, but he got over that in a hurry, of course. Uh, but, you know, this for, – for
for him, this will sell some popcorn. This will sell some ads for his show. This will increase his listenership when all of this is over. Uh, and he might even score a speaking spot at the Republican convention or something. I mean, somebody besides Trump has to speak. Well, actually, really nobody besides Trump and his family has to speak, but some will, and he'll probably be one, although not in the prime time spot. But he's, uh, you know, four or five percenter at the most. No, you got to sell him. Yeah, he hasn't really been polled on, so it's hard to even know where he would poll, but I just can't imagine it would be, would be very good. I'm going to sell Larry Elder as well. Um, I would have sold Larry Elder before the California um, recall election, and then, you know, you, once you get in case Gavin Newsom were to have been recalled. Um, but after that showing, and, and uh, granted, you know, California is not uh, where the Republican base voter lives, although people don't realize that, um, I'm, we're having, I'm having a hard time hearing you. So, sorry, and I, and I paused in, a, in the middle of a of downtown Rockmart. I mean, how can you get more reception than downtown Rockmart? But um, <laughs> well, I guess on the outskirts. Um, <laughs> hey, if we can get an ad, I'd do a product placement here where I'm at. But um, Larry Elder, he he didn't even do well in that election, and California has a lot of. Republican voters. I mean, it's obviously not a majority, but it's a lot of people, and therefore a lot of people support the Republican Party in a state with just that many voters. Um, so I just have to sell and wonder what this um, campaign's all about. Uh, Catherine, well, again, was... you made a good point about Trump um, being, you know, he's not the anti-Trump. So if you're not the anti-Trump within the Republican Party, what's your deal? Um, well, so I, I was thinking. I was wondering if this was an angle for like the VP slot. Yeah. Do you think he'd be a realistic VP choice for Donald Trump, though? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. I can't think like uh-huh. Donald Trump, so I don't know. But that was my only. When I read about him, I thought, well, this is weird. Like, why would you run against this man who you admire so much um, unless you were angling for something else? Maybe he's just, like, looking for name recognition. But if he's just a self-promoter, just looking for, you know, he might be just looking for to up his key rating so he can get back a bit higher advertising dollars. You you, yeah. you you know, David, uh, you, uh, Catherine brings up a, 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 a good point. Uh, I, I don't think Larry Elder fits the bill, but you know what? That could be an angle for one of these people that's running for the nomination, uh, uh, a Governor Hutchinson or, 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 or a, a Nikki Haley or somebody like that. They may be in the race to make a good showing and convince Donald Trump he could, you know, they could help him on the ticket and then they'd be angling for the number two spot. Don't you think that's a distinct possibility with at least one of them? Well, I think Larry Elder more so than Asa Hutchinson, because here's what I think. In 2020 or 2016, they talked Donald Trump into balancing the ticket. Who's going to be somebody that's not like Donald Trump? 
Now, and, and maybe not in policy stances, but in how they conduct their personal life, that was Mike Pence. You know, he was very much a different person on a personal level than Donald Trump. And I guess yeah. at the end of the day, he got but. more electoral votes, and it worked. But what happened in 2020? Trump felt yeah. betrayed because Mike Pence actually did the patriotic right thing, followed the Constitution of the United States, and allowed the person that the people of America both electorally vote, electoral vote and popular vote elected in Joe Biden. And he felt betrayed by that because you should cheat for Donald but, Trump. So but, he's going to be a true believer. So I think that's the first yeah. box he, you have to I, check. I, 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 I think I think the first box to check for Trump, he is not going to allow somebody on that ticket with him that can show him up. That is, say, a better public speaker or or more charismatic or energetic. Donald Trump will insist on first and foremost because he thinks in TV terms being the star of his own show. Uh-huh. A guy like Larry Elder is a professional announcer, and and I've heard him before. He's a pretty good one. And there is no way that Donald Trump would allow somebody on the ticket with that set of speaking skills because that's what the media story would be, and it would detract away from Trump. Trump just wouldn't have that. But a guy like Hutchison, you've heard him talk. It's like listening to paint dry or something sometimes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the kind of running mate that Donald Trump would want, the low-keyed guy like Pence, except, you know, blindly loyal, where Pence at the end of the day was not blindly loyal. Yeah, yeah, I I don't – it's going to be a weird, uh, interesting pick, and I do – and I will say this, I do think there is a chance that um, Donald Trump maybe not exclusively looks at women – but I think a female VP candidate for Trump um, may be like an over 50% chance as well. But uh, we got plenty of time to discuss that one down the road, um, you know, because first I guess Donald Trump has to finally close this thing out. Um, and when that happens, then the attention will turn there anyway. Um, well, let's talk about the next person. This is the person that I overlooked. And I, I may not say the name perfectly, pronunciation, but apparently he is a right-wing um, figure, best I can tell, from Ohio, Vivek Rastaswamy. And um, if y'all know his name pronounced better than I have, because I've just read it, I have not seen him on any kind of TV. I don't watch it as cable news, I guess, to have hardcore. Um, seen you know this individual, and I definitely have not um, sought out any YouTube videos. But I noticed in a poll recently, he was out polling the Asa Hutchinsons and the Tim Scotts of the world in a national poll. He had like four percent, which in terms of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis were the only candidates really in double figures nationwide. I mean that put him pretty far up the um, food chain. Tim, do you know much about this person? But even before we buy, sell, hold him, tell us more about what you know. 
Well, I, I know he he also is a terrific self uh, promoter. He's been bumping around in Republican politics for quite a quite a while. He he obviously has his own niche because he's a, a like Nikki Haley, uh, an Indian American. And if you watch that speech he gave, you saw his true skill. He can fire up a crowd like nobody's business. Now, I know he likes to talk, and he is a huge supporter of Donald Trump, by the way. Uh, he, um, he, he does, uh, you know, all the dog whistles that you expect to hear. Uh, the you know the Second Amendment stuff, and uh, if he mentions foreign affairs, it's Iran and China, never Russia, and the Democrat Party, and of course attacking the FBI. And, uh, they always mention Martin Luther King. They ought to be ashamed of themselves for even mentioning that man's name and the climate cult, the COVID cult. Everything's a cult. Shut down the FBI. Shut down the ATF. Uh, making constitutional carry the law, law, all all this stuff. But he is a darn good stump speaker. What he says is is nonsense. That don't matter. He is a terrific speaker, best speaker in either party that's running, hands down. And uh, you saw him fire that crowd up. You saw him get on their feet. He he can do that a lot. He can get some votes, but again, he's competing for that thirty percent of the vote that Donald Trump does not have. Uh, I could see him finishing in first of the rest of that crowd, but if especially if DeSantis doesn't get in, but uh, mainly, uh, you know, he can't beat Trump. Of course, got to sell him. Yeah. Well, well Catherine, we, and um, I kind of want to frame something as you then give your buy. So hold. We talk about the Republican base. The Republican base. Or a lot of them are birthers. They they did the birther thing on Barack Obama. They did it on Kamala Harris, who has Indian American heritage. They actually have started to do that on um, Nikki Haley. These are the kind of folks when they go to the doctor and their doctor retires and an Indian um, American takes their practice, they complain. When they call on the uh, they call help, the helpline. Uh, in any product or service, and they get someone from India, they B&M to no end about how nobody's from America to take their call. Why are these base voters going to accept this Indian-American gentleman who just happens to be conservative, since that seems to be a base grievance of these folks? Well, I think, you know, it's uh, it's complicated the way people – behave you know uh i mean i watched that speech and i can he is really compelling i mean like like tim said it's all garbage but he's very good at at drumming up the audience you know um this is a stupid story but my grandfather 
um, who would be like 140 years old right now, I think. Um, he was um, a really nice man. He had a lot of black <laughs> friends. He was a plumber, so he had a lot of coworkers who were black. But he didn't like black people. But they were her, his friends, so he liked them. So I think, you know, uh, someone can generalize about not liking to talk to Indian, um, Indian call, call, you know, call centers. But when they meet someone and they see them, it's different. So I, I think it's, it's, it's hard to say, oh, they don't like these call centers or they want, you know, they're worried about their jobs being taken away. But then when they see this guy who's talking the way about the things, about things the way they like to hear it, it's different. That's my take on it. You know, Dave, one of the good ones in air quotes. Tim, well, right. he, he, I was going to say he checked some boxes, too, you wouldn't figure on. He's Ivy League educated, for instance. He is actually a scientist. He owns like a pharmaceutical company or something like that. He could self-finance. He has a lot of money. He is a writer also. He's authored a couple of uh, conservative books. This guy has a lot of talent. He, to me, he believes utter nonsense. But he's very talented at delivering it. So, uh, you know, he's impressive. Yeah, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it. But, Catherine, I'd be remiss. You, you, we actually need to buy, sell, hold him, and then I need you, too. What Buy, sell, hold on him. Oh, I said sell. Oh, I'm sorry. Somehow, um, okay. And I'm going to tell you this. I'll sell, too, on a large global thing. I do think because this gentleman has not held elective office and kind of came out of nowhere – if he was kind of like a penny stock, he could be one you could buy for the short term and then sell him before it came due and make a little money uh, because he has kind of um, come out of nowhere. I think he's kind of like the Republican version of Andrew Yang in many ways. Andrew Yang uh, started mm-hmm. out like, who's this guy? And then people heard his ideas in a Democratic context and said, hey, he's pretty interesting. Some Republicans may say, hey, he's pretty interesting. Um, and then he's going to raise his profile. The chances of him winning the nomination are nowhere near what they need to be. And that brings me into the bigger question. If everybody sees that Donald Trump seems to have 57, 60% of the vote in a multi-candidate race, and at the end of the day, like three-quarters of the Republican base is saying they're going to support Donald Trump if he's the nominee, no problem. All of this. Why do all these people keep jumping in this race that seems like it's Donald Trump's to lose, and Donald Trump is 100% seemingly in this race until it's over? Um, Catherine, why do they keep getting in? Oh, I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of them is something that Tim touched on earlier when we were talking about um, the guy whose name I can't even remember, the radio guy. Um, Larry Elder. Yeah, Larry Elder. That you know, they're trying to up their visibility. You know, try to sell something, sell themselves. You know, up their radio listenership or whatever. 
Um, I think there's that. I also think, like I mentioned, some of them might be, you know, trying to position themselves for vice president or some other um, high office, you know, appointed office in the White House um, or other, you know, ambassadorships, whatever. Um, And then some of it just might be vanity. You know, if they have enough money, they just, I think I'll run for president. I don't know. Yeah. Tim, Tim, those are those are my ideas. Thinking. Oh, go ahead. Uh, what what are these folks doing? Well, you know, uh, there's several things going on. Number one, this the lightning effect. If something happens to Donald Trump that he can't run something legal, <laughs> that that's a possibility. Obviously, then they're already in the race. Lightning could strike. All of a sudden, they go from an afterthought. People have to start seriously looking at them because they got to pick somebody. Number two, Donald Trump, even though he runs that party, uh, you know, he's in his late 70s, nature being what it is. He'll be gone sooner than later. And uh, these people may be plowing the field for, uh, you know, to plant seeds for a future run. Uh, This guy we just talked about, David, I think like 37 years old. Uh, And and he's just getting started, but he's getting his name out there now. Uh, So so that's basically what they're doing in it, don't you think? I I don't know. To me, it seems like an episode of The Simpsons where Krusty the Clown runs for president to get attention. Um, it is just so weird. And I'll tell you this, if I were Vivek, uh, Russia Swami, Swami, why doesn't he run for Ohio Senate? If he's got all this money, he runs for the nomination, then it'd be him versus Sherrod Brown. I mean, I sure hope Sherrod Brown holds on, but I do know that's going to be a tougher race. That seems mm. much more doable to build your profile. I, I, know, I have an answer. I have an, have an answer. CEO, we got to get our CV. Yes. Oh, if you got your guess, go ahead and go to that. Well, let's do that. Yeah, let's go ahead. I want to welcome into the um, show for I don't know how many times one of our favorite guests, uh, political science professor for the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, Dr. Anthony Chergoski. Welcome back, Anthony. Dr. Chikoski, there with us? Hey, Dr. Chikoski, you're with us? No, this is not Dr. Chikoski. Um, I, I just was listening in. I was hoping that I could get in. Um. Hey, let me try this again. Dr. Chikoski, they're with us? Hey, it's Dr. Chikoski. How's it going? Hey, I'll hey. tell you what happened. We had two additional callers on the line, and I had to play, um, you know, phone number lotto. Which which Arizona is up in Wisconsin? <laughs> anyway, I was like, oh my goodness! And so, you know, I I, I, I tricked y'all. Oh. I tricked y'all there because I actually have a Minnesota area code, so I pulled a little bit of a fast one on you there. Yeah, I knew something was up. Well, anyway. Now that we had all that that fun uh, out of the way, let's get to these, uh, you know, some Wisconsin politics. And I wanted to start out going back to the 2020 election. Um, if we look at the results in the House, you know, people are like, 
Democrats should have done better in New York. That was just a really, you know, disaster on the House side. But on the Senate side, so many things went right. But I think people look at Wisconsin and go, if we would have done something just a little different in Wisconsin, Ron Johnson was beatable. Um, you know, the governor, y'all's governor was reelected up there. Some other races went in the Democratic column. Um, and then we'll talk about some races since then. But my understanding is Mandela Barnes was framed early in the general election process by ads on crime that he couldn't respond to. But he is a, a single African-American male. So my question would be, was the was it that he needed more money to rebut the, or to find himself uh, against Ron Johnson, or was he not a good candidate for the moment? And Sarah Godlewski, in a in a year in which abortion rights were such a major issue, would a woman have been a better candidate? Um, which, if you could replay that thing, which tack would you go to? More money for Mandela Barnes early or a different candidate for the moment? You know, Wisconsin Democrats have been engaging in that debate ever since November of 2022. And I think that there is truth to both, but I would rate the money as the top explanation. Because when we look at how the campaign unfolded, the Democratic Party got behind Mandela Barnes as their standard bearer in the the U.S. Senate election in Wisconsin. And it was always assumed that the money would come pouring in in order to defeat Ron Johnson. I mean, Ron Johnson had been on the Democratic Party's radar for a very long time, and there was a lot of enthusiasm nationally for the prospect of defeating Ron Johnson. But what surprised Democrats and what they did not see coming was the outside money that would help Ron Johnson. I think if we're kind of replaying what happened, the outside money really poured into Wisconsin to help Ron Johnson. And, and you know, the issue of crime played a major role in the 2022 election and the Wisconsin Senate election might be example number one of a campaign where crime played a major role. It's kind of interesting. You know, in the gubernatorial race, you mentioned how our Democratic governor, Tony Evers, was reelected by about four points, which we call a landslide in Wisconsin. And he was reelected by about four points. And Crime did not play a major role in that campaign. The Republicans are really hoping to have crime be a drag on the incumbent Democratic governor here. That did not pan out. But what did pan out was that Mandela Barnes was just absolutely crushed in the first six weeks or so of the general election campaign. We had the primary election in August, and for late August all through September, it was ad after ad after ad after ad attacking Mandela Barnes as being weak on crime, and that set the tone for the campaign. Mandela Barnes did try to fight back at the end by trying to pivot to the issue of Roe versus Wade. But by that point, the issue of crime was so baked in 
as the dominant issue of the campaign. And so because these outside groups on the Republican side were so successful at showering the airwaves with ads that were based on crime, Mandela Barnes really never had the opportunity to take advantage of Roe versus Wade being overturned and never really got it to tap into that energy. That played into the statewide elections where we have a, basically essentially an abortion ban in place now in Wisconsin. But the early money that came in on the Republican side, the Democratic Party here was left absolutely shell-shocked by that. And Mandela Barnes actually ended up running a very close race, only lost by one point. But, you know, had there been some money early on to fight back, you wonder what might have happened. So, uh, you know, I think that Democrats are wondering maybe maybe there are some issues with the candidate. Maybe a different candidate would have been able to take advantage of the issue of abortion and put Ron Johnson more on the defensive on that. But certainly the early money on crime was, in my view, the decisive factor in the race. Yes. Well, just one more question about the 2022 campaign. My understanding is that um, in particular, Dane County, the turnout has just increased to a whole new level. Party already a pretty high turnout county, but it's increased to a whole new level. Uh, Milwaukee was maybe not as bad as it was in 2016, but it still lagged. And in other places around the state, um, kind of some increased, some decreased. What patterns can you see about turnout in Wisconsin based on the 2020? I'm sorry, 20. 22 election. You put the you you hit the nail on the head there. The most important trend in Wisconsin politics right now is the astronomical turnout in Dane County, the home of Madison, Wisconsin, the home of the University of Wisconsin, Madison. The turnout numbers are absolutely eye popping. It is a highly educated, kind of highly professional out pretty well off area and so the democrats are just running up enormous numbers and so republicans kind of put together their rural coalition they have all these kind of this these collection this collection of smaller rural counties that they drive up these numbers in but then all of kind of the rural vote that the republicans are able to accumulate gets wiped out in one fell swoop when the Dane County numbers come in. And so there's a lot of talk in the Republican Party right now. What the heck do you do about Dane County? It is one thing I'll add, the fastest growing part of Wisconsin in terms of population. And so people are moving there. It's hot in terms of the economy. It's it's kind of culturally and socially where people want to be. And as I noted, the numbers just keep rising for the Democratic Party, and that really puts the Republicans in a jam in statewide elections. But it wasn't quite enough to defeat Ron Johnson because some of these key swing voters in the Milwaukee suburbs did stick with Ron Johnson. There's a lot of question about these suburbs in Wisconsin, just as there's a lot of talk about the suburbs everywhere. And in the suburbs in Wisconsin, Ron Johnson held on just enough, probably owing to that crime issue, the emphasis on crime, policing, and public safety, able to hold on to those swing voters just as the Democratic governor, Tony Evers, was able to kind of win over some many of those swing voters. And as you noted, the turnout in Milwaukee has been a problem for Democrats. 
just as Democrats are enjoying huge turnout in the Madison area here in Wisconsin, they struggle to get that consistent turnout in Milwaukee. And so that remains a real unresolved puzzle for them. But, yeah, those are kind of the big trends going on in the state right now. Huge numbers for the Democrats in Milwaukee uh, – sorry, in Madison. Inconsistent turnout in Milwaukee. And then those key swing voters in those suburbs being fought over as the decisive voters in close elections. And, well, with the exception of a few – most elections in Wisconsin are quite close. It's what we have become accustomed to, for sure, in this state. Yes. Well, I'm going to pass it on to Catherine, who has more questions. We'll pass it on to Tim for even more. And I may come back with one question possible, depending on what all we get to. Hey, thanks for being on with us tonight. It's good to hear from Wisconsin. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are and what the reaction has been to the announcement that the Republican convention is going to be in Milwaukee, right? Yeah. You know, that has been a very interesting announcement because the relationship between the Republican party and Milwaukee is one of the more interesting parts of Wisconsin politics. And more generally, I mean, the relationship between the Republican Party and these major urban centers. In the case of the Republican Party, basically Milwaukee is in a massive financial crunch and Milwaukee has some real issues that it needs state help from that it needs uh, state help with, basically some major financial issues that the city faces. And you know, occasionally Republicans have been willing to play ball with the city of Milwaukee. Other times, Republicans tend to kind of go after Milwaukee as mm-hmm. a symbol of the problems that, you know, they see with urban areas, kind of as a way to play to their largely rural base. And so uh, the kind of there's kind of one of the theories behind why Milwaukee was so eager to have the Republican convention is so that it can maybe have a bit of a cooperative relationship with the Republicans who have basically a a rock-solid hold on the majorities in the state legislature in Wisconsin, owing to the way that the maps are drawn, the role of gerrymandering in the state. So uh, until those maps redrawn, and based on some recent results in a state Supreme Court election, those maps may get redrawn, but at least for now, (laughs) Uh, At least for now, we do know that the Republicans uh, are going to continue to be in the control of Wisconsin's state legislature for, uh, you know, until until the maps change. And that means that Milwaukee has to try to play ball with them. And so that brings the conventions 90 miles apart with the Democratic National Convention in Chicago and the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee. Yes, it should be interesting. We were. I guess at the top, at second on the list for the Democratic convention, but we don't have enough union hotels, so there you go. <laughs> it happens every time. But, well, that's very interesting. Um, and what's the general um, – I mean, are people excited about it, or do they really care? Or, I, I mean, as far as the public, were they, you know, cheering for, for um, Milwaukee to get it, or – were they not really paying any attention? 
You know, I think there had been a lot of hype about the Democratic National Convention in 2020 in Milwaukee. Obviously, it didn't happen due to COVID. That was kind of going to be Milwaukee's big reentry onto the national scene. Right. And so I, I think there is some enthusiasm, certainly among the business types, certainly among the political leaders. I don't know how much kind of the average person is paying attention to this. But, you know, when it comes to the kind of how things might play out here, I mean, essentially, like the Republican Party in Wisconsin is dealing with many of the same internal divisions that Republican parties in other states are dealing with, where you've got a lot of key players in the Republican Party here who are not happy with Donald Trump and have really gotten on the Ron DeSantis bandwagon. Uh, Mike Gallagher, one of the members of the House, uh, an influential member of the House, is, is one of those. And uh, the Assembly Speaker, the, the, the most powerful member of the Wisconsin State Legislature, has said that he will not support Donald Trump. He's all behind DeSantis. And so you know, many of those same internal divisions that you see around the country playing out here. So kind of wonder what will happen if, uh, if Donald Trump gets the nomination. Uh, for his part, Paul Ryan says that he will not be at the convention if Donald Trump is the nominee. Scott Walker says he will be at the convention if Donald Trump is the nominee. So those internal divisions definitely playing out here in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's easy for those guys to say that a year out. But, <laughs> but we'll see, right? I mean, okay, well, thank you. That's great. Um, I appreciate that insight. And now I'm going to pass it to Tim. Thanks so much. Good evening, Dr. Chagowski. How are you? Great, Tim. Nice to hear from you again. Okay. You you were just talking about Donald Trump. So in a rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, in Wisconsin in 2024, when we consider the results of the last two presidential elections held in Wisconsin, they were just breathtakingly close. Who's favored there? Well, I would say Joe Biden, but the obvious uh, caveat is that Wisconsin elections are a very, very dangerous business to predict Wisconsin elections. Uh, now, I would say Donald Trump because we have seen the continued erosion of Republican support in key suburbs. The Milwaukee suburbs in southeastern Wisconsin used to be the heart and soul of the Republican Party here. They used to be like the heart of the conservative movement in the Midwest in many ways. And the Trump era, just like in many other regions, the Trump era has caused a real decline in just these blood red suburbs in Milwaukee. And so right now, Republicans in statewide elections are having a hard time doing well enough in these key suburbs in Milwaukee in order to win. And so that would tend to bode well for Joe Biden. We also talked about the Madison problem that Republicans have, where a Trump candidacy would undoubtedly lead to a massive turnout of Democratic voters in Madison. And it is unlikely that Donald Trump would be able to get enough rural votes in order to win. Now, it'd still be a close election. Uh, so 
just like most other elections in this state, we'd still have a very close one. But I think the combination of the suburban vote plus the Madison vote would tend to tilt the balance in favor of Joe Biden. Also worth noting, the next, the next ballot item right down the list after that is Tammy Baldwin running for re-election mm-hmm. as a U.S. senator. So uh, no doubt there's going to be plenty of attention on Wisconsin for those two reasons. Uh, you know, Georgia could be the decisive state. Wisconsin could be the decisive state. Arizona could be the decisive state. Pretty much pick one of the three and yeah, good chance you'll be right. And then, yeah, Tammy Baldwin, of course, running for re-election here. So uh, just as the eyes of the nation will be on Georgia, no doubt they'll be on Wisconsin as well here in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Now, there was an election of, of, of some note uh, since the last time we've talked to you. Uh, as a matter of fact, we, we've talked on the show about perhaps it being the most important election held in the United States this year. Do you believe that that Supreme Court election qualifies as the most important election that's going to be held this year in this country? I think there's a strong case to be made for that. And, you know, when you look at the consequences of this election, a a few things stand out. First of all, the potential for massive change on the issue of abortion. Essentially, after Roe versus Wade was overturned, Wisconsin went to a near-complete ban on abortion. We went back to a law that was passed in 1849, which is one year after Wisconsin became a state. And that law basically outlaws abortion in almost all situations. And what was so interesting about this campaign for state Supreme Court is that Janet Protasiewicz, the more liberal-leaning justice, was very open about her position on abortion. She gave every signal that she would vote to overturn the ban on abortion and kind of put things back to where they were under Roe versus Wade, putting abortion back into a legal status in Wisconsin. And so Democrats and the more liberal side of the campaign really drove up the margin of victory. And it was a, I mean, for for, for Wisconsin, a 10-point victory is, I mean, just unbelievable in a statewide election. And kind mm-hmm. of the post-election analysis really attributes that to abortion. But beyond abortion, you look at the issue of gerrymandering and Wisconsin's gerrymandered legislative maps. This had been viewed as the Democratic Party's chance to undo gerrymandering. You know, we just saw Alaska's state Supreme Court rule that partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional under the state constitution. And it seems like we might be now heading toward a similar ruling in Wisconsin, looking at those legislative maps, maybe having maps redrawn to have more competition in the legislative elections Mm -hmm. here in Wisconsin. And then looking ahead to 2024, I mean, the consequences there are enormous because as I noted, you know, Wisconsin could indeed be the decisive state in the presidential election. And we had plenty of lawsuits, plenty of legal weirdness, plenty of drama surrounding the 2020 election that went through the courts here, went to the state Supreme Court, 
nearly advanced in the state Supreme Court. I mean, Donald Trump's legal challenge nearly went ahead in the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And so looking ahead to 2024, you, you wonder what role the state Supreme Court here in Wisconsin could play in the presidential election. Certainly going to play a very different one now that we have a four to three liberal majority on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court as opposed to the four to three conservative majority on the Wisconsin mm-hmm. State Supreme Court. So for all of those reasons, I think there's good reason to believe that this was the most important election in the country this year. Now, college students poured out to the polls to vote in this race. One of, one of the pictures that I saw that the national press picked up was at your school where students were lined up down this long hall out of door waiting to vote. Uh, a, a place like Green Bay, Protosawitz, played ball there because of the massive turnout at Wisconsin Green Bay. Uh, was it the dual issues of abortion and crime that drove these voters to the polls? Really good question. I mean, that had been the one of the wild cards coming into this campaign. I mean, you have an April election in an odd-numbered year. You wonder uh-huh. if those college students are actually going to show up. And my goodness, did they ever. Now, the margin for Protosawitz, the liberal-leaning candidate, over Dan Kelly, the conservative leading candidate. I mean, the margin was so huge that the that the college students did not play a decisive role, but they sure as heck padded the margin of Protosawitz, and that is a great sign for Democrats as they go forward. Certainly, abortion was issue number one in this campaign, and so I kind of start there with any analysis of the Wisconsin State Supreme Court election, the backlash to the ruling overturning Roe versus Wade, the backlash to restrictive abortion laws in Wisconsin. We've seen that backlash in the major population centers here. We've seen that backlash in the suburbs, and we sure as heck saw that backlash in the college student uh, college student voting population. Uh, On top of that, you mentioned the issue of crime, and that was a really interesting one because, you know, just as the issue of crime was very effective for the Republicans in the Ron Johnson reelection, the issue of crime never really landed for them in the Wisconsin State Supreme Court election. And that is because I think Protosawitz, the liberal-leaning candidate, understood that she had to fight back against the accusations that she was weak on crime. She talked about being tough on crime. And so basically the Democratic Party-aligned candidate played ball on the issue of crime, didn't make the election about crime, really focused on abortion more than anything, but fought back in a serious way against the accusations that she was weak on crime. It all added up to, a, as I mentioned, decisive victory for Protosawitz, the liberal leading mm-hmm. candidate. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more question before I throw it back to David, but it but it's something that I've been thinking about a while and am troubled about and this race kinda highlighted it in your race. It, 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 I mean it was nonpartisan <laughs> on paper, but everybody <laughs> knew who the Democrats were for, everybody knew who the Republicans were for. Even here in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district, in local races, 
Everybody knows who the Democrat is in a nonpartisan race. Everybody knows who the Republican is. Twenty years ago, that was muddled. That that was something that was not known, and Democratic and Republican voters went all over the place voting. And my question is, in this polarized era, is there any such thing as a nonpartisan race now? There, there sure doesn't seem to be. I mean, we've certainly we've certainly seen that in school board elections. We see that in these judicial elections. And, I mean, essentially the entire campaign in Wisconsin was informing voters which one was the Democrat and which one was the Republican. <laughs> um, and both candidates had very strong ties to both political parties. Uh, Protosewitz had taken in a lot of money from the Democratic Party. Dan Kelly had very extensive ties working as a lawyer in other capacities being connected with the Republican Party. And so it's just absolutely no secret which candidate was representing which party. And that has, as, as you noted, that was not always the case. I mean, these, these state Supreme Court elections in Wisconsin used to be rather sleepy affairs where no one would really pay much attention, there'd be low voter turnout, the candidates would run bland campaigns, and they would take care to not be affiliated with a political party, but that world has seemed to pass us by, and we are in a completely different era at this point. And so, yeah, you're getting these nonpartisan elections at the judiciary, the school boards, all seeming to turn into these partisan contests, a major national trend for sure. We saw it on full display in the Wisconsin State Supreme Court election. Well, Doctor, uh, I thank you for your excellent analysis as always. And with that, I am going to throw it back to David. David? Yes, Dr. Strakowski, one last question. You had mentioned Tammy Baldwin's key race for U.S. Senate, but, of course, if the Republicans want to beat her, they've got to nominate somebody. I've heard Congressman Tom Tiffany's name mentioned. What are the names of people mentioned running for the Republican nomination? And what's your outlook thus far of that primary? Yeah, that is the big question right now. The Republicans know a couple things about Tammy Baldwin. They know that she has won convincingly in two consecutive elections. She was first elected to the Senate in 2012, the first openly gay senator ever elected. And then she was reelected by a very large margin in 2018. They also know that Tammy Baldwin is a very good fundraiser. And so Tammy Baldwin is going to have every bit of the financial resources that she needs to run a competitive campaign. And so, I mean, the question is, like, who the heck wants to run in that kind of a situation? Now, national Republicans really want Mike Gallagher to run. Gallagher has kind of earned this reputation as sort of a serious guy. He's from the Green Bay area, maybe has a chance to reach out to some of those voters who have been a little disaffected under the Trump era. Now, the problem for Mike Gallagher is that the Trump base doesn't really love him. They don't view Mike Gallagher as part of the mega movement. And so you, know, you wonder if Gallagher could win a primary election, but certainly his prospects in a general election would be maybe better than some other possibilities that 
the Republicans are entertaining. They also look at Brian Stile, who is a member of the House of Representatives from southern Wisconsin. He's now in a pretty competitive district. He's a good fundraiser, might be looking at making a run. You mentioned Tom Tiffany. He has a blood-red district, a deep-red district in northern Wisconsin, the rural base of the Republican Party now that the base of the Republican Party has really shifted, as I mentioned, from the Milwaukee suburbs, and now the base of the Republican Party is in rural Wisconsin. And Tom Tiffany represents that new Trump-era base. And so yeah, he's very much in touch with the base, but could he reach out to those swing voters? And, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of Republicans are not terribly excited about the prospect of him running. Aside from those three members of the U.S. House of Representatives, he got some talk about some business people who might jump into the race, people who can maybe self-fund. But that is the big dilemma for Republicans right now. You've got kind of some House members who might take a look at the race. You've got some business people who might take a look at the race. But Tammy Baldwin has really proven herself as a savvy politician. You know, she really believes that all politics is local. And, you know, that old saying, you know, kind of in these polarized times, you know, she'll go to, she'll go to uh, you know, pick your area and talk about the local issues there. And so, you know, she'll talk about the, you know, bridge that she got funding for in northern Wisconsin. She'll talk about the, dam- uh, the flood mitigation that she got funding for in my part of the state. And so she really goes around the state emphasizing those local issues. And the- there are questions about her as a candidate. I mean, she had kind of this rap, sort of the rap on her was that she'd be this sort of liberal Madison politician. But she has really been able to expand her appeal through focusing on these local issues. And my goodness gracious, does she raise money? So, you know, of all the of all the races on the 2024 Senate ballot, um, you know, you, you got to feel that the Democrats are pretty positive about Tammy Baldwin. Certainly, the Democrats are more concerned about some races in other states. Now, it doesn't mean that Tammy Baldwin is a sure thing to win. Uh, nothing is a sure thing in the political scene here in Wisconsin. But we know that Tammy Baldwin is a proven politician based on her victories in 2012 and 2018. And so, um, you know, I, I think that the Republicans are going to, you know, try to convince someone to run against her. We have yet to see who that will be. But, uh, you know, I think that um, of all the races on the 2024 slate in the U.S. Senate, uh, I think there there are races that Democrats are more concerned about uh, relative to Wisconsin. I think they feel pretty good about Tammy Baldwin. Yes, I'd agree with you, and I actually think she may be in such a strong position that she actually helps President Biden in re-election um, in Wisconsin, kind of taking that off the table for Republicans, which means their pick of Milwaukee's convention site is probably um, less beneficial than they would have hoped. Well, Dr. Chagoski, we thank you so much for coming on the show. As you leave us, tell us if you, you know, where we can read you on social media, if you've got any papers coming out, because we know you're a tenured professor, just whatever you'd like to share. Yeah, yeah, check out uh, 2WLAX.edu. That is my 
university. We're, we are a public regional university in western Wisconsin. Uh, and so we are right on the border with Minnesota and Iowa, so it's a great place to be. And then uh, I'm on Twitter as well. Um, have not paid $8 a month for the check mark, so don't look for the check mark. I don't have one. Um, but you can, you can check me out on Twitter as well. Yes. Well, thanks again for coming on in. As we get closer to that convention, you're going to be our man in the state for us to reach out to. Hey, anytime. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. All right. Dr. Anthony Trugoski um, of the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. We just got just a few minutes left on the show. And Tim, as we went to Dr. Trugoski, you were making a point about, I guess, both candidates and really all of these candidates that are running um, for the nomination that don't really have the electoral pedigree that one might not expect no but what what we were talking about was the future and 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 what you know comes next and something is going to come next and guys Mm -hmm. like um you know vivek uh ramas uh swami uh are, are are the kind of guys you're looking to to do that like i said he's only 37 years old uh, he's uh, he's Ivy League educated. He is a entrepreneur. He's an author. He's a scientist. He's a um, should, dare I say a, a rare Renaissance man in the Republican Party, except with the subject matter. And and I you, you have to wonder if perhaps he's. Uh, some of that's not a little bit put on because it's it's very popular to do that right now. But uh, in, in, anyway, uh, we are approaching the time when there will be a post-Trump in the Republican Party. There will be a post-Biden in the Republican Party, just just not next year. Yeah, um, Catherine, kind of final thought. How do we reconcile the Republican base that's anti-education, anti-science, knowledge, very insular, would rather have a homogeneous society. Uh, They long for yesterday with a millennial politician that does come from a heterogeneous part of America um, that does have an educated background um, because we have multiple candidates that fit these different um, labels. How do they reconcile this? Any ideas? I don't know. Um, I just, I, 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 it's a mystery to me, this um, dispensing of belief in science and improving education. And it's just kind of so contrary to what I think of as America, you know, in that broad sense. So I, I don't know how we... I don't know how we get over that hurdle. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, there was an article this week, I believe it was in the Atlantic, that said, is Ron DeSantis too smart or too educated for the Republican electorate, talking about his Ivy League background? Of course, Donald Trump, even though he doesn't seem to use any of it, uh, was educated at University of Pennsylvania. Um, one that the University of Pennsylvania might want to have back. 
But he's able to <laughs> oversay, uh, but uh, some of these other politicians, you wonder if they can with the current Republican base. I don't know that the current Republican base will be the current Republican base in 20 years, or there will, may not be a relevant Republican Party if that's the case. Um, they've got to either change or die, in my opinion. But I think I may have said that 10 years ago, and they've hung on a lot longer and stronger than <laughs> I would have thought 10 years ago. Um, well, it was so good to have Dr. Chagowski on next week. Such an exciting show, too. We're going to have Bill Snyder back on the show for at least the third time, a long-time you know, head political analyst for CNN, um, still a writer at The Hill. He's going to be our guest next week. So until then, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, Good night guys. <laughs>